0: Public schoolers, including my uh, daughter, had their thirtieth snow day of the year, and the announcement came that they'll now uh, be ending their school year in October. What I noticed was um, after this, after this last prayerfully, this last snowstorm, it seemed like everyone was just a little bit angry, a little bit edgy. Um, The day after the storm, I went into Quick Trip early in the morning, like I normally do, and. I just was like, everyone was really, really angry. Everybody. Um, You know, not the clerk per se, because I love Quick Trip and all the Quick Trip people. and The donuts were happy, but everyone else was just not. I mean, everyone else was, uh, you know, no one was holding the door open for people. It was like, finally, all this snow and ice and, you know, constant cabin fever dumb ish has really affected people. Well, then I just noticed driving. I mean, everyone just angry. I mean, people ready to you know, throw down on people. Grocery stores was filled with just angry mobs. Uh, my children, angry. It was just like every, everybody angry. Did you notice this? How many of you guys found yourselves angry? Just angry people, okay? That's right. Now I'm getting angry that some of you are lying. Um, I'm still reeling from the effects of the anger. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. Hopefully we're done with it, but um, it, it does prompt another question for me. Uh, so here, here's my question. I want you to think about this as best you can. When was the last time you were really, really, really angry with God? And I mean like fist clenched, wanting to scream, wanting to yell, just completely chapped with God. Um, What I've learned is most often we're angry with God in tragedy and when patience is required. Think about it. You've been angry with God, frustrated with God, fist clenched towards God in tragedy and when patience has been tested or required. That's why I think parents have a leg up a bit in understanding this perspective. Um, first in tragedy, uh, last night um, I was giving my children, my two boys, that is, a bath. And if you are a parent or when you get to be a parent, you'll learn the bath time is always an interesting time, especially when you have boys. Um, so they're in the bath together and... and uh, and, you know, they're having fun. They enjoy the bath. It's like a little spa to them, um, quite honestly. They turn the water uh, beyond boiling hot. Um, their skin generally turns purple. That's about the time we turn it off. But, but until then, we're really good with it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm hanging out with my daughter, and she's reading some books. And we're having fun. And I notice it's been a little bit quiet in the bathroom. And it, the water wasn't deep enough for anything crazy to happen. But, um, so, so I go in. I go in and I look at my two boys and they're looking at me, not saying a word, just looking at me, smiling, you know, as if these little communists have done something inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, wipe that smirk off your face, boys. And then they start looking past me. And they start looking past me specifically to the walls behind me. Well, I turn around. And I, I still to this day do not know how all this happened. But literally from floor to ceiling, there is just pounds of water that's dripping down my walls. And so I'm like trying to, in my mind to compute how this has possibly happened. And then I turn around and I see that both of them are holding like water grenade launchers. Okay? <laughs> so these little punks, they had just decided in all of their ignorance just to just, you know, pummel my bathroom with water. Well, homie don't play that. So I don't know about, I don't know about you, you. I, I spank my children, okay, Bible says don't spare the rod, I don't spare no rod, right, so, um, I'm just saying, gotta follow Bible up in here, you know, so, I, I get my kids out, and needless to say, this happens, you know, typically with Dawson, I, I, I use the spoon, and I always talk my kids through discipline, I'm like, look, you guys have sinned against me, therefore you've sinned against God, you've disobeyed, clearly this was a bad choice, I love you, and then I, then I spank them, okay, um you know, oftentimes they don't hear the love part, but but inevitably, just just immediately after the, the, the punishment, it, like, this this whole situation just becomes tragic, you know, he's looking at me, he's blaming me, he's mad at me, he's, you know, pumping his fists at me, daddy, why did you do this, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 like, I, I didn't do anything, like, I'm, I'm trying to help you not be an idiot, you know what I'm saying, like, you, you should thank me, you know? If you get married and you're still, you know, spraying water all over the walls, like things aren't going to go well for you, you know, I'm trying to help you out here, brother. And it dawned on me, again in tragedy, and even in times of discipline, where the Lord's trying to guide us, even trying to pull us through, at times horrific things that have happened in our life, and we're looking up at God like it's his fault. Not seeing the sin and the chaos in our world that, that is just that, sin and chaos, repercussions, of Adam and Eve's fall. So I feel like many of you guys have gotten angry in tragedy. Can I just ask you this while you're thinking about that? If you want to get angry about God and tragedy, would you allow God to get angry with you? My guess is he would have a lot to be angry with. Fair enough? My guess is if we would open that relationship, we're like, all right, God, so here's the deal. I'm going to be angry with you. You can be angry with me about the things that are necessary my guess is his list against you would be quite a bit longer, right? So I guess what I'm saying is that this this idea of our anger towards God and when it's unbelievable that the God who should be so insanely angry with us and in this text we'll see again is merciful and gracious. Um, But Moses is angry. He's ticked. He's chapped. Okay, called man of God, from a baby in a basket to now an 80-year-old dude looking in the face of Pharaoh. He is angry with God. At the end of chapter 5, like we studied last week, Moses comes up to God. He's like, why did you send me here? Why did you do this? Pharaoh's not listening. The people aren't listening. This whole thing has gone crazy. God, I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. Tonight, an unbelievably beautiful text in chapter 6 verses 1 to 13. So I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. Um, like every week, this text is crazy awesome. Um, I'm really excited. Like many said, come in, and you know, tonight I'm just, I'm just pumped, man. I just, I can't wait to go. So I'm going to pray that God will kind of simmer me down a bit, and, uh, and then we're just, we're going to see what happens. Is that cool with everybody? All right. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll get to work. God, I know that you have specific things for my friends and for me to hear tonight. And so I pray, not by my words, but by the the beautiful text that you've provided, that you would guide us into all truth. Whether my friends have come in here tonight distant from you or near, I pray right now in these moments that we'd be drawn to hear the exact words that you would have us. In your great and holy name we plead, and all God's people said, amen. Chapter 6, verse 1. Moses is angry towards God, and here is God's response, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this uh, out of his land. Now you remember, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the mighty arm of Pharaoh is very, very common Egyptian literature. It's a way of discussing, talking about, teaching the power of Pharaoh. And what God says to Moses is, hey, uh, hey, bro, who's in control here? You see what he says? Now you shall see what, what does he say? What I will do to Pharaoh. You guys ever play tug of war? Okay. By far the best uh, tug of war game I ever played was in college. uh, Mud tug of war. You guys ever played that? You know, where everyone just gets grody and then you, you got this big pit of death in the middle. Right? And then you, you split up the teams and whoever loses is gonna get a face full of nastiness. Have you guys ever played that? It's awesome. So I was playing Tug of War, and we were very evenly matched. And you know how you always have the dude on the ends who's like wraps the rope around him and then you realize it's like cutting his flesh, right? He like lifts up his shirt and his like stomach has literally been torn in two and then it's really hardcore and we just leave him there, you know? But we're playing we're playing tug of war. And it's a battle, man, right? Have you guys played like your hands start getting nasty and you're you know and, and inevitably, like, one team just gets tired, and man, it was awesome in college, right? You get, to, you get the, the joy of pulling on the rope and watching the whole team just fall in the mud, and then you kind of want to join in to do it too, so then you just go in anyway, you know, just get, get muddy, right? I love tug-of-war, and, and I feel like what Moses seems in his mind like he's doing is playing tug-of-war against God. It's like, God, who's really in control here? Is it you? Is it Pharaoh? Who... Like you got God on one side of the rope and Pharaoh on the other, and maybe sometimes Moses on Pharaoh's side, and maybe sometimes Moses. Uh, you guys ever heard Jesus take the wheel? Have right, you guys heard of that song? Um, A, I hate country music, and B, if you have heard that song, uh, I just brought it up just to point out all those who do love country music, just to rebuke you in the Lord's name. Um, but but we're all battling with this. We're all battling with this um, with this idea of control. Let me let me argue this point with you. I don't think it's ever us versus God. I also don't think it's ever uh, sin, flesh, all of those things on like one side. God is holding both sides of the rope. And like at times we're exerting tremendous amounts of energy, fighting with the Lord. And God's like, um, I'm completely in control here. The outcome that will glorify myself will happen. I'm on both sides of the rope. You can stop fighting. You can stop pulling back and forth. There's no need. I'm holding it all. I'm in control. The universe sits in the palm of my hands. That's what he's trying to tell his boy Moses. Look, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. And this I will statement begins several in this passage that I absolutely love. And verse 2 just trips me up. Look at this. God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am the Lord." Yeah, 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 we we know that. Moses knows that. So the question is, why does he repeat himself again? He, he's told him that he's the Lord many times. I've told you before. Anytime the Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament, it's that ancient, powerful word for God, Yahweh, Yod, Heyd, Vod, Heyd. That that word that uh, oftentimes Jews wouldn't even say because it had so much power. So this is that, that word, that Yahweh, I am Yahweh, he says. So the question is, why does he repeat himself? Why does he come to Moses after Moses' anger and say, I'm God? Because clearly Moses has forgotten. Because clearly Moses is in the corner wearing the dunce hat again, forgetting that the one that he's serving isn't some human king. But it's literally the God that created it all and is sitting on the throne of the universe. You guys see what I'm saying? What I'm realizing in this moment, in this beautiful text, is that God, in his mercy, meets man where he's at. Moses deserves to die, doesn't he? Listen, if you question Caesar or some other really cool king of the past, Xerxes, Hercules, you know, Pocahontas, I don't, you know, whatever. Like, if you. If you question some really authoritative figure in the past, what happens to you? You walk up to Xerxes, you're like, "Hey, so yeah, I'm really angry. I'm not sure why you die." You know, that's what happens. You get yourself killed, right? I mean, you—you, it's over for you, all right. So why not now for Moses? Moses deserves death. God should have just been like, "Why are you even questioning me? I'm God." I told you to go. I told you this will all happen. I told you, I will pull these people out. You keep questioning me, dead. Instead, what does he say? Moses, Moses, Moses. I'm God. I know I've told you many times before, but let me tell you one more time. And then after that time, I'll tell you again, because I know you'll forget. And so I'll keep coming back to you to remember. Remembrance of that fact, that God is God is one of the most quintessential pieces to our entire life. So my question for you is, do you feel like you're in a rhythm of remembrance? Do you feel like your life is patterned and set up to completely and all the time sit in remembrance of who God is? I feel like one of the most intimate times that I have with God is when he's reminding me of the thing that I so often forget. I need to be reminded of this like 17,000 times a day that he's God. So it shouldn't surprise us that he begins his dialogue with Moses by saying, I am the Lord. Then look what he says, verse 3. Drops it. I love this. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 17 times in the Old Testament we see this exact. Same phrase, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, right? He's like, Moses, I appear to these men, and you know I love Abraham, I got, there's an awesome song about him, like, I, I appear to that man, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as God Almighty, but look what he says to Moses, but my name, the Lord, that Yahweh word again, I did not make myself known to them. He's saying, Moses, you have access to me, you have seen me in ways that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob haven't even. He's saying, Moses, understand how intimate we are. Moses, un- Here's my point. God is insanely merciful, though Moses is undeserving. God is pursuing the heart of Moses. He's not going above Moses or below Moses. He's going right at where Moses is at. And I'm just telling you right now, that is the God we serve. Meeting you right where you are, right where your heart is struggling, right where your mind is wrestling. He goes right to you. It's the unbelievable thing. And thankfully, he knows this, so he knows right, right where the crevice of our heart is doubting, fading, or needs remembrance to come back again. So he says, look, I'm the God who appeared to all these men. I've given you access that these guys didn't even have. And then he says in verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give you the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, as God says, we saw last week Pharaoh say it, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the, whom the, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And he says, and I have remembered my covenant. He said all these things. This is like Repetition. God went to the redundancy school of redundancy, redundancy, you know? He's just like, he keeps repeating himself. Why? Because he knows we'll forget. I kind of get frustrated with folks who question me sometimes about why we talk about the gospel so much here. These conversations happen, okay? Folks will come up to me, Mark, I just, I feel like, you know, I just, I kind of feel like every time, like, you guys just talk about Jesus, you know? This conversation happens, you know? So I'm like, I try to flush it out a little bit. I'm like, well, tell me what you mean, you know? Well, you know, just just like every night you seem to say the same thing eventually. That Christ died and then he risen and he's coming again. And I'm like, Amen. I'm like, keep preaching, you know? This is good stuff. Like, keep going, right? They're like, but but don't you ever get tired? No! Like this is the very heart and premise of everything I believe. I never get tired of it. You know, like th- this is what I need to remember. This is what God is doing with Moses. You need to remember these basic truths of who I am, because you so readily forget. Think about if we just remembered in the moments of our pain, in the moments of our joy, in the moments of needing direction, that God was really God. Think of how well that would serve you. But guess what? You forget, and so you indulge you forget you get distracted you forget you pursue this when you should be pursuing that Moses reiterates and communicates over and over the same things because he meaning, he's meeting Moses where he's at and now the tasty verse 6 you guys ready strap on your seatbelt a little bit here haha <laughs> check this out check this out say therefore to the people of Israel he's affirmed Moses I'm God. Now he says, All right, here's what we're going to do. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Okay, good, good start. Good start. And then look what he says. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment ergo, the plagues that are coming at the beginning of chapter 7. You see what God says? Three, I will statements. Let's look at them again. I will bring you out, I will deliver, and I will redeem. And I'm just guessing, if you're like me, I really struggle with the words, I will. First, because I've been burned by it. Hundreds of times. People that say, I will, and then they don't. And so then, every time you hear someone else say, I will, you start to get a little bit questioning. Then on the other side, I realize my own sin, my own failures, my own times that I've said I will and I haven't come through. I had to double confess to a brother today. Let me explain what double confess means. He texted me on Friday, hey, can we get together? Really important. I texted back, hey, can we meet tomorrow morning? He texted back, no. And then I just left it at that. And apparently, unbeknownst to me at the time, I'd done that a time before with him. Well, you could see how that would be frustrating to him, okay? So um, he, uh, he shared, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated with that. And I got defensive, and I rarely get defensive. And so today I just had to be like, look, dude, A, I'm sorry that I said I would get back to you and I didn't. And B, I'm sorry I got defensive. I'm an idiot. Double confession, you know, like multiple sins. I'm talking about multiple sins. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I see in myself this inconsistency that longs to always follow through and pull through, that longs to always let my I will be my I will, and yet oftentimes it's not. You've been burned by that once or thrice? Hmm? Parents ever tell you that? Hey, listen, I promise I will pay for and then no green when it counts, right? Or I promise in a relationship that I'll always be with you, right? Did you ever have a dating relationship that said that in the first week, and then you broke up like three days later, right? Because <laughs> there was some, like, awesome song playing in the background, My Heart Will Go On was playing, right? <laughs> ah, oh, I will always be with you. Uh, by the way, I've got another boyfriend over here. I'm just, oh, what? You know, we get burned by it. And so when we see statements from the Lord, like I will, it instantly creates in us a a doubt. Let me show you something, though, in these three statements. I will bring you out, I will deliver you, and I will redeem you. Does it strike anyone else that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, it's the same message? The message has not changed. God says, I will pull you out I will redeem you, and I will deliver you. Isn't it crazy to anyone else that the message of God is so incredibly consistent and the production of God as it were, the fruit of the Lord's hands, the reality of His works are the same. He is pulling you out, He is redeeming, and He is delivering. And you're like, from what? From everything of yourself. From every piece of sin and fragments of reality that you were born into, he's pulling you out of that and providing you hope, and not just hope, but life, and not just life, but eternal life. That's what God does. He pulls you out, he redeems, and he delivers. And that's what he's trying to tell Moses. You go and you tell the people that I'm God and I'm pulling them out of hell and chaos. Right? So the question is, will the people believe? Will they think he can do it? Or will they think, because some person said I will and didn't follow through, that now God won't? Let's just call it what it is. We cause distance between our relationship and God because of our relationship with others. Others burn us, and so we think God will do the same. Listen, we are 1-800-people. Look up the number, it's real, alright? No, never mind, Anyway one people. It's all good, okay? I don't know if you've noticed but we fail each other. We mess with each other's lives. We cause drama and gossip. There's all kinds of things that we do with one another. But spoken from experience, I have never seen once, not just in the scripture but in my own life where God has says or where God has said I will and then he doesn't. I've never experienced that. Never, never once. I've only seen In the Bible and in my life, a pattern of, I will, and then he does. Well, these I will statements continue. Verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Is it not encouraging to anyone else here that God says, Moses, listen, you tell him not just am I going to redeem and deliver and pull you out, but then... I'm going to give you an identity. In other words, I'm not just going to save you and then let you be eaten by the wolves. I'm not just going to pull you out of slavery. Wouldn't the story be horrible? If he pulls them out of slavery, he opens the sea, and then he closes it on the Israelites, and they all die? <laughs> like that'd be a horrible story, right? Completely anticlimactic. Prince of Egypt would not have gotten the blockbuster status that it did, right? <laughs> right? But that's not the story. God pulls them out, to then what? To then give them an identity. He says, I will, you, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. I will give you an identity and I will show you that I am your God. Um, one of the greatest ways that we fail in the church, in general, in America, is seeing followers of Christ get excited about Christ at their conversion, start to believe, have faith, trust in Jesus, And then no discipleship. And then like, hey, good luck with that. Hope it all goes well for you. If you just keep coming to worship services, it'll all, it'll just be great. You know, sit by me, we'll be fine. No, that's why we're so passionate about discipleship. Taking young believers, as Hebrews says, and weaning them off mama's milk so that they can eat solid food. It's this beautiful idea that they need to understand their identity in God that they're his, that he hasn't now saved them to hang them out to dry. So for some of you that have felt that way or some of you that haven't seen your identity shift on this side of the cross, I just want to affirm you that this message that God speaks to the Israelites is the same message still today. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and I love this and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. No. But if you know the story, their nose certainly seems confusing. They see the sea. Could you imagine walking through the Dead you know, the Sea as it's opening? red sea? I mean, it's like, dude, look, there's fish and all kinds of... And then on the other side, they're like, yeah, we need a golden calf. You know, the sea was cool and all. We need something else to worship. God, you're not good enough. It's like, what in the world are these idiots doing? It's because they know that he's the Lord, but they're not serving and worshiping God. Have you ever heard a non-believer say, "I know there's a God"? Have you ever heard that before? It's one of the most common statements that has that ever had between me and a non-believer. Oh, I, I, you know, I think there's a God. I just, I, I just don't think it's Jesus, you know, or whatever. So then I always flesh that out. So what do you mean? Like, well, who is God then? And they, they have all kinds of thoughts. Knowing that there's a God, the Bible says, is just like Satan. Satan clearly knows there's a God. Okay. But Satan isn't following God. He's not submitting to God. He's not bending the knee to God. In fact, one day, the scripture says his head will be squashed by God. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. So I just want to encourage all of you guys who are building a wellspring of knowledge in your mind about who God is, and yet your life is not transformed. That is not the gospel. The gospel transforms heart, mind, soul, everything that you are. Okay. So he says, look, I, I, and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God, but who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You're going to know that, but you won't necessarily respond to me in worship in light of that. And then verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will, our last I will statement, give it to you for a possession. Then he drops the mic, I am the Lord again. um, uh, My kids often ask, like, what's happening when it's thundering? And I say, God's dropping the mic. You know, it's (laughs) like, I'm the Lord, boom, what's up, you know, what you guys got for me, you know. So he makes a lot of heavy statements um, to Moses. And then, my friends, there's verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The people, a chapter ago, were worshiping God. Moses stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh adds more work to the Israelites. And now Moses stands in front of the people and he says, listen, here's what God has said. He says that he's God. How you guys like that? That's awesome. He's God. And he says he's going to deliver you. And he says he's going to pull you out. And he says he's going to redeem you. And he says he's going to make you his people. And he says he's going to be your God. If you're like me, I'm like, I don't know that there could be a more powerful statement. I don't know that there could be better rhetoric to describe what God would do. I mean, that's heavy, powerful, preaching stuff. That's, just, that's good stuff. And yet the people can't even hear the truth because of their harsh slavery and broken spirit. And now we're starting to get really, really real. I can honestly say this. I've never felt so heavy over a verse in a long time. Every time that I would read it in preparation, even as I just read it a second ago, I just feel like my shoulders are being pressed down. Here's why. I know that some of you, even in Christ, can hear some of the most powerful truths and understanding about who God is, And yet you are numb to it, yet you're hardened to it because of your harsh slavery. And you're like, harsh slavery to what? Harsh slavery to your sin. You feel so gripped by it. You feel like there's nowhere to run, you feel like there's no escape. All you see is darkness, there is no light those of you with certain addictions, those of you that are wrapped in self-indulgence, those of you that are in relationships that are going nowhere fast, you have this sense. There's no escape. And when you feel like there's no escape, then you just keep going away from escape. You guys know what I'm saying? 100% true, right? When you feel like there's no hope, when you feel like there's no escape, then you just dig deeper in the pit of hell. That's what happens. I've been there. I know what it's like. Well, the reality is of when that happens is this, this thing of, a, of harsh slavery just entraps you. And so statements like, he will deliver you. He'll, he'll redeem you. He'll pull you out. Completely numb to that. I understand full well there are those of you here tonight entrapped by your sin. And I can say till I'm, till I'm blue in the face, he will deliver you. He'll redeem you. And yet you'll be like, whatever. Maybe. Not from me. And then... There are those of you with a broken spirit. Depressed. Gone through a really difficult time. Going through a really difficult time. Saddened. Don't know which way is up. Don't know which way is down. And I and your friends and whoever the scripture could communicate over and over and over. He's the God of all comfort. He cares. He loves. He won't abandon you. And yet, because of your broken spirit, no. What if? What if? What if those who are enslaved to sin tonight, what if you were supposed to be sitting in that seat? What if tonight you were supposed to be here? And what if tonight you were supposed to hear the words, I will redeem you. You do not have to live one more day entrapped in pornography. You don't have to do it. I will deliver you. You don't need to continue to be abused in this relationship. I will pull you out. You don't need to sit one more day under the authority of self-indulgence. I will redeem you. And what if for the first time in forever, because of the move of the Holy Spirit right now, you believed that it was true? And what if on the other side, there are those that walked in here depressed, burdened, struggling, saddened, hating yourself and hating life. What if all of a sudden you realized of all nights that you could be here, or of all nights that your eyes could actually open or your ears could actually receive and hear, you heard the words, listen, he will redeem you. He'll pull you out. He will deliver you. He will be your God and you will be his people. You don't have to live one more day like that. Never done this, at least can't remember doing it. I'm just asking, if you're in one of those two categories tonight, would you just raise your hand? Okay. Broken spirit, harsh slavery. Hmm. I want to I pray. I don't know what else to say. I'm not going to move another muscle. Let's just pray for these people. What if in this moment, God freed them? Father, it's unbelievable to me that out of the millions and millions of people in this world, you're hearing our prayers. And it's also unbelievable to me that every single person that raised their hand and those that are struggling and unwilling to admit it or just scared, that you know their exact need and that you care. So I pray right now, God, in this moment for my friends who are enslaved to sin or just completely depressed. And I pray tonight, God, that they hear and realize and know the truth that you will redeem and that you will deliver and that you will pull them out. It's it's a promise. They're not maybes and they're not hopes. They're real. So, God, tonight, help us believe that these prayers aren't hitting a ceiling or just being spoken for human encouragement. Help us believe tonight that you'll answer them. In the great name of your Son. And all God's people said, Amen. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 10, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And this just straight has me fired up. Okay? Listen, here's what's cool about the Bible. Can, Can we have a moment together? Can we have a moment together? In, in, normal, in normal layman's terms, you look at verse 11, not much there. Right? It's like, eh, that's, I mean, it's cool. Not, not, go is in there, so maybe we can flesh out the word go, you know. When you study God's word and when you just sit in it, it, it gets so powerful. Here's the thing I instantly think of. The people respond with what? Forget you, God. That's how they respond. How has Moses so far been responding to God? Forget you, God. And yet, what does God do? He says, you go and tell him. Go in and tell Pharaoh what's up right now. If God responded to people based on people's response to God, we and they would be in a world of hurt. You guys understand what I'm saying? If based on your doubts, then God shifted his plans, or based on your fears, God was like, "Mm, You're right. We would be in a world of hurt. Does anyone at least get a little bit excited that you serve a God that is not responding to you based on your response to Him? And yet our worship is in response to who He is. But God's plans prevail. I love the fact that despite all the people in my life that say all this about God or all that about God, it doesn't change God. I love the fact that in my doubts... The times when I get angry, the times when I wonder, the times when I even shake my fist at God and be like, what are you doing? It does not change God. He's immovable and unshakable. I love that piece about God. Anybody else? I love the fact that our culture, our president, whoever from the, from the highest of mountains could stand up and say whatever they wanted about our God and it doesn't mean that it's true. They could defy God. They could say, God is this or God is that. And yet our God still sits on his throne, anybody, right? It's the unbelievable piece about the God we serve. He's not shifting to the demands of man. He is God. And in this moment, the people are saying, forget you, God. And God's like, hey, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh what's up, and we'll go from there. Go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And here's our brother Moses. Poor Moses. Moses, the idiot. Verse 12. But, but Moses said to the Lord. And look, the dude's 80. You would think you would have some sense in him. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. And now I believe one of the most interesting statements in the entire book of Exodus. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips, question mark. What? What? right? What in the world? Cue the picture. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. So <laughs> um, let's deal with the easy part of this verse, okay? Does it strike anyone else as odd that, that Moses is still, in spite of all of this, Arguing with God, God, how do you, and you kind of, you kind of understand a little bit, how do you expect Pharaoh to listen to me when the own people who are trying to be delivered from slavery don't believe you either? Like, God, there's a problem here. And then he says, for, you know, am I of uncircumcised lips? So my question is, as your question should be, uh, what in the world is, does he mean? Two possible options, and there may be more. The first is that he's alluding to the fact that he's not a great speaker. We've already seen that. A stutterer, not very poetic, you know, can't really communicate well. That's why God had to send Aaron to help. That's possible. I also think, and I think this is the more interesting piece, not sure if it's the more true, but the more interesting possibility, is that he actually means that because his tone has gotten angry with God, has gotten non-reverent with irreverent with God. Uh, maybe even cursing God, that he sees himself now as, um, as kind of, you know, um, what, like chaff, or what would be another way of saying it? You know, he kind of, he just doesn't see himself as usable, okay? So I think both those are possibilities. You can wrestle with your friends on that if you'd like later. So what do you think that whole uncircumcised lips thing meant? Verse 13. So you guys are going to tweet that tonight, aren't you? Any thoughts on uncircumcised lips, Anyone? What kind of church you go to? But the Lord spoke. <laughs> but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of, God, uh, out of, the land of Egypt. And I interpret that as God comes down, meets them face to face, and says again, hey, boys, it's time to go. Now's the time. So... Here's the thing that really pulled me in on this text. The I will statements to me were unbelievable. Seven or eight, depending on the phrasing, I will statements in this. So it caused me to do a little search. I got on my legacy.esvstudybible.com, and I just typed in, in the search bar. It's crazy thing about the internet, okay? Search bars. I just typed in I will. Just saw all the possible times in the Bible that this statement I will comes up. It's powerful, like seeing the things that God will do. Crazy amounts, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Constant phrases and statements all over the place. And so then, I said, you know what, I I just want to focus somewhere. And so I took the four Gospels. And guys, I just started reading statement after statement that Jesus makes where he says... I will, and I couldn't help in those moments, but just worship, but just allow my heart to be profoundly impacted by a God who is not a human and comes through and so a light of worship, I just want to invite my crew to come up and guys to lead us and I'd like to share some of these with you if I could. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, I will give you rest. John chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Come on now. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, you remember this to the disciples, I will make you fishers of men. John chapter 14, verse 21, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, listen to this, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In Mark 14, 58, I love this, he says, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands. And come on now. And in three days, I will what? I will build another. In John chapter 6 verse 37, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Pointing to the future and the end of times, Jesus prophetically said in John six forty-four, I will raise him up. On the last day. In John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. In the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said I will. And he sent the Spirit. In Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys. To the kingdom of heaven. You will have access. To the throne of God in me. Jesus said. In John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name. This is. I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And finally, in Matthew 27, verse uh, 63, Jesus says, I will rise. And every I will statement is accomplished, it's finished, will happen, has happened, is being experienced by you now. God's journey with Moses is causing his heart to be purged of his doubt. That he can finally rest and say, you will. I believe it. I long to be purged of every piece of doubt. And we'll watch Moses' journey onward and upward. Trust more and more each day. As he believes that when God says he will... That he actually will. You've got doubts. You've got questions. You're putting the things that humans have done on God's relationship with you. But tonight, it's time to thank God that he has said, I will, and he's pulled through. So we get to celebrate as a church with this ancient meal. Remembering when Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And he said that his body would break and it did. And then he holds up the cup and he says, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget, I said that my blood would be spilt, and it was. And tonight, this meal being for believers... As you come up and pull off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, there are cards on these tables with all of these I will statements that I've just read on them. Take that as an opportunity tonight to remember that God's will will be done. Respond in communion when you're ready, my friends.